This is Questions of Courage, a podcast from the youth section at the Goetheanum, hosted by Nathaniel Williams. Welcome to Questions of Courage. Today I'd like to talk about um, meditation as inquiry and particularly to try to introduce uh, some ideas and practices of meditation that are at the core of the School for Spiritual Science that has its center at the Goethe Anam. Um, and uh, immediately when we talk about meditation as inquiry or as a kind of mode of exploration, uh, there's a lot, there's a whole host of questions that legitimately come up for us. And I'd like to try to talk about those today, and I'd like to talk about them, however, not just talking about the, the practices that make up the core of the work at the Goethe Anum, but also to talk about one of the most significant and influential um, developments in meditation culture, at least in the United States over the last 50 years, where a lot of uh, parallel uh, discussions have developed and, however, with a lot more people involved. And um, that, that practice is, is related to Buddhism. Of course, when I'm speaking about Buddhism, I want to uh, you know, emphasize that I'm, I'm, of course, from the United States, and my understanding is, is uh, definitely shaped by that. And at the same time, it's interesting because the relationship between Buddhism and, uh, and its kind of cultural context in Asia and the culture in the United States has been one of the most developed discussions uh, as far as some of the spiritual interests that people have had over the last 50 years, people have been pursuing. Uh, but I just give a, you know, I mean, when I was a teenager, and I, I developed an interest in, in spirituality and um, I was looking for people and I was looking for texts where I had the feeling, um, here's someone who from their practice, their, their firsthand experience can speak about um, the connection between spirituality and life and, and the greater world. And like many people, uh, perused New Age sections, um, religion sections, philosophy sections. And it was, for me, like many people, um, there were many Buddhist texts that became available in English that, that spoke with a, a kind of authenticity that was very appealing. And um, I'm sure I'm not alone in the fact that in my own bi biography, uh, some of the first serious attempts at developing a practice were on hand of some of those, those texts and practices that I ran into. I have been speaking about how uh, for the last, in past episodes, how for the last 50, 60 years, there's a, a kind of new tenor in, in certain discussions that is very palpable. And I spoke about Marshall Salins and, and kind of some of the dramatic turns in cultural anthropology where there's a, a deeper willingness to explore and not to write off the spiritual practice and, and interpretations of different peoples. 
And it's interesting to note that, you know, when Buddhism uh, first started becoming more widely known in the United States, one of the reasons for that had to do with the, the invasion of Tibet from, in, from China, by China, and um, uh, a huge migration that took place, uh, not only to the United States, but all over the world. And um, many Tibetan teachers uh, had to flee and, and did flee and become teachers in the United States. Of course, the Dalai Lama is a very well-known individual, um, and we'll come back to, to some of his work in a moment. But uh, another uh, stream of Buddhism that, that made its way to the United States was Zen Buddhism, a variety of Buddhism under that name that developed in Japan. And there's a Shunryu, Shunryu, which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, Suzuki, um, reported that he came to San Francisco at the end of the 50s, California, at first just to visit and to uh, share from his, he was a respected teacher in Japan. And he was so impressed with the, the spiritual the quality and sincerity of the spiritual striving of, of many people that he met, that he ended up migrating to the United States and founding uh, the Zen Center, in very, uh, which had a huge influence on the availability of uh, Zen Buddhism in particular uh, in the English-speaking world. And I mention that because uh, here we have someone not speaking from within the United States kind of describing this shift, this 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 desire and this interest in a kind of more authentic, imminent connection to spirituality, but someone coming from Japan who also recognized it and ended up feeling called to uh, become a teacher in, in, the, in that context in California. Now, the Dalai Lama and a figure by the name of Francisco Varela also, through their a kind of collaboration, ended up having a very large influence on kind of the availability of um, understanding of Tibetan Buddhism, in particular in the United States. Their collaboration focused on a kind of discourse between the Western culture of scientific inquiry and the Tibetan Buddhist approach to reality and also the kind of understandings and experiences that one can have through contemplative practice. And eventually, uh, this became well known as the Mind and Life Institute that brought together scientists, scholars, and contemplatives for discourse. And it became quite well known eventually through the famous uh, dialogues that took place at MIT, I think about 20 years now. And um, in this discourse, there were all manner of people participating. And it's still ongoing, of course, in many uh, universities right now in the United States, we see contemplative studies programs that have been launched and are being developed, consciousness studies programs that have taken some inspiration from uh, the discourse that has been cultivated at the core or even the periphery of, of mind and life. And it's very, very fascinating and interesting to read the, the kind of uh, character and questions that came up between these very disciplined and advanced uh, meditants and 
um, let's say, very disciplined and advanced theoretical physicists or uh, professors of neurology. When they came together, a whole host of different really profound questions came to the fore. They are questions that, of course, also come up to the fore with, in relationship to the meditation practices that are at the heart of the intentions of the School for Spiritual Science that has its center at the Goethe Anum here. And they can be really instructive uh, to read. A lot more people have participated in them, um, and a great diversity and variety of people have participated in them than, for instance, discourse around anthroposophic practices. And um, in that way, it's also really interesting to look at certain parallels and also to look at differences, of course. But let's start with just describing some of the clear dilemmas that ha came up through this work, um, this discourse. And one of them uh, has to do with um, a kind of decontextualizing of Buddhism, according to certain people, where um, Buddhism is not understood in its bigger cultural context and its, its grander teachings, spiritual teachings, and um, it's not understood as a religion, it's understood as a practice and a philosophy. And it's presented as if it meshes quite well with contemporary natural scientific findings. Evan Thompson, who was very involved in the discussions, also through his family when he was a boy, uh, had close proximity to these discussions, and went on to become a phenomenological researcher and philosopher, and to write a book, for instance, Waking Dreaming Being, that details some of the results of these discourses and his own research. He went on to write a book called Why I Am Not a Buddhist. And in this, he develops a particular critique, which is um, kind of highlights what's at stake uh, in some of these discussions. And he criticizes the take of what he calls Buddhist mon modernism, which is this view of Buddhism where it's seen from a perspective of modern science, and the contemplative practices are viewed, uh, viewed from a psychological perspective and interpreted in that light. Psychology, in that sense, kind of limits the spiritual meaning to uh, the experience of the individual practitioner. And he critiques this. And, of course, he's right in the discussions, very familiar with them. And this is how he characterizes uh, this view, which he also um, calls Buddhist exceptionalism. Um, there's a popular idea that Buddhism is inherently rational and scientific. People say that Buddhism isn't so much a religion as it is a philosophy or way of life. Some scientists have described it as, quote, the most science-friendly religion, end quote. It dispenses with the concept of God. It upholds direct observation, understand things 
in terms of cause and effect, maintains that everything constantly changes, and says that there is no essential self or soul. The religious parts of Buddhism are supposed to be extraneous and not too difficult to remove. Once you get rid of them, you can see that Buddhism at its core is really a psychology based on meditation. Buddhist meditation isn't like prayer or other kinds of religious contemplation or ritual. It's an applied mind science. These are the reasons people give for thinking that Buddhism isn't really a religion or that if it is, it's different from and superior to other religions. So in this book, the argument is very clearly put forward that criticizes the kind of popular notion that we often find underpinning our discussions about meditation and about mindfulness and contemplative practice and, and when we call it Buddhism, um, and, and criticizing also the narrow interpretation that Buddhism is, is not a religion. And Evan Thompson very clearly tries to distinguish between the Western scientific tradition and then communities of practice, ritual, and belief, which make up for him kind of the conditions for the emergence of religion. And that these two things need to be held apart and separated. So he offers a kind of perspective on what many people understand, even if they understand it vaguely, as Buddhism in the United States, as a, a serious um, caricature and distortion of, of Buddhism um, in its, I guess, context and, and, and grander meaning that it has, for instance, in many places in Asia. Now, this is one of the perspectives that, for instance, has come out of the discussions at the Mind and Life Institute. And however, it's interesting to notice that there are some other directions that have been developed by, by um, individuals who uh, don't actually, their, their perspective doesn't quite fit into any of the descriptions that Evan Thompson offers. And one of these people is B. Allen Wallace. And he wrote a book called Choosing Reality, A Contemplative View of Physics and the Mind. And in this book, he takes a different stance in some of the claims in the Buddhist meditation manuals about what is being experienced and what can be researched or understood through meditative practice. Of course, there are some parallels that he sees, the distortions that are taking place when Buddhist uh, culture is kind of in certain ways appropriated and changed to fit more neatly within Western culture. He writes, quote, in our culture, meditation and contemplation are widely regarded as means for relaxation and in the religious context for deepening one's experience of the divine. Are there contemplative techniques that can provide us with knowledge 
that can be integrated into our scientific understanding of the world? This we must judge for ourselves. And it is one aim of this book to introduce some of these techniques for appraisal. Of course, like the methods of physical science, they can be thoroughly appraised only if they are implemented. He goes on to write about physics and uh, quantum physics, modern physics, uh, about the peculiar culture and cultural history that made our scientific understanding of the world possible. It's a very interesting book. But he also presents, towards the end of the book, some of the claims that contemplatives in the East have made in their um, texts on meditative practice, where they have knowledge claims. Um, knowledge claims that suggest if you do certain meditations, then you will be able to understand and to perceive certain things which you usually can't. For instance, you can begin, begin to perceive um, spiritual, or he uses the term mental um, impressions that are related to the world around you, whether they be people or events. He also relates how there are certain contemplative practices which are indicated, which would allow one to perceive the possibility of, or the past incarnations of oneself or others. He writes a number of claims like this, and he argues that what would be important would be to try these methods out, to be open to the possibility that meditation could be a path of inquiry, a path of research, and not simply to interpret it within the Western paradigm of science and religion. And there is another figure I want to mention um, who was right in the middle of the Mind and Life discourses, whose name is Arthur Zients. He wrote a book on meditation as contemplative inquiry. And he is a physicist and author and contemplative and was also the general secretary of the Anthroposophical Society in America for a time. And in his book, he introduces and also tries to look at parallels between some of the contemplative practices that have been kind of situated at the core of the work of School for Spiritual Science with some of the Buddhist practices that he became intimately familiar with through his um, participation in the Mind and Life discourse. So with that, I'd like to, you know, characterize this seeking that I've been describing that has been more and more pronounced or a pronounced part of the last 60 years of English-speaking culture in the United States and how certain issues come up in a discussion around meditation 
when the questions are phrased such that one would like to have an open mind to the possibility that meditation could lead to knowledge or to a capacity of inquiry, to understand um, something in the world that one couldn't understand through natural scientific methods. Or in the words of Alan Wallace, are there contemplative techniques that can provide us with knowledge that can be integrated into our scientific understanding of the world? This is a kind of contemplative realism, a belief that there are spiritual um, dimensions to life and that it is potentially possible, it's possible to develop a knowing relationship to them, not only one based on revelation and faith. Here I'd like to introduce something called imaginative contemplative practice. It's one of the practices at the core of the intentions and ambitions for inquiry that the School for Spiritual Science is focused on. And it shares with the contemplative traditions, for instance, of the East, in this case, Buddhism, which I've just been speaking a little bit about, the ambition of a kind of contemplative realism. And so more in the direction of what Alan Wallace describes and Arthur Zients, of course. And this practice involves not, uh, it differs from the practices that, for instance, Alan Wallace describes in his book, in that um, there's not a point of departure made on focusing on the body or on the breath. And there's also not a focus on practicing detachment and release. Um, but there is actually something more of an increase of interactivity and identification with an inner symbol or a picture, a verse, or even a mathematical um, construction. So there's a, an increase in kind of concentration and activity, and the goal is to try to identify with it through in engagement with not only one's concentration, but also feeling and will, but in such a way that one is not disturbed by sensations from one's body, that one is not disturbed by memories or associations. And through a discipline and a repeated practice of this uh, technique, there is a, a kind of development of a capacity to have experiences and perceptions which are certainly comparable to some of the things Alan Wallace indicates um, as being described in meditation texts from the East. And the way that these uh, imaginative contemplative practice was framed and understood grows out of the Western tradition in the following way. One of the most influential intellectual facets of our culture is definitely mathematics. And this is particularly true in relationship to natural science. Here we find a 
very involved inner participation, which leads to results that are not suggested to be subjective. And at the same time, these kind of proofs and theorems that are developed reveal themselves as intimately connected to certain phenomena in the objective world. If we just think about everything which is possible from a technological perspective through modern physics, we can see this very fascinating situation where an interactivity like mathematics, um, which is almost entirely carried by inner pictorial concentrated exercises that is so-called that are so-called abstract, that somehow the results of this end up being felt as belonging to the greater world and not being subjective uh, in nature. Imaginative contemplative practice kind of orients that attitude, that level of participation, of consciousness as an ideal. And yet instead of working with quantitative qualities, there's a, an intention of working with pictorial qualities. And then through these practices, one can come to have experiences where the kind of register of daily consciousness that we have in space and time and normal consciousness shifts. And one comes into contact with subtle and um, spiritual, if we were to use Alan Wallace's terms, mental dimensions of experience that are not felt as subjective and can have surprising qualities. And not only that, but they have an unbelievable individual life of their own and expressive capacity. The kind of spatial experience of inside and outside, of being near or far away, are kind of subdued in retreat to some extent, and one finds a register of experience where one's own inside is experienced at the same time as an outside, and what one perceives as outside is, is experienced as very, very intimately connected with what one would usually experience as oneself. So these experiences that are gained through contemplative practice have then been um, reported and also have been put to work in some of the practical um, applications of anthroposophy, for instance, in the Waldorf School movement and uh, the biodynamic agricultural movement. Now, I just want to say that um, in describing this, I am referring to, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping in mind uh, the conversations, but also uh, approaches that I've made in my own practice. And I, I do not want to present anything as a, a claim with some kind of absolute validity now or in the future. And I think that this statement from Alan Wallace should also hold true in um, the discourse around contemplative inquiry in the anthroposophical, uh, in anthroposophical circles, which is, of course, like the methods of physical science, they can be thoroughly appraised only if they are implemented. 
which just means the underlying orientation is, is that um, one would be able to come to shared observations and understandings if one implements certain contemplative practices. Just like a physicist would expect that certain mathematical discoveries that relate to physical phenomena would be understandable to anyone who's able to um, perform them themselves and make the observations themselves. Now, this has been a very general uh, introduction, but I did want to take a minute and just speak about one of the basic contemplative approaches to um, life that have been cultivated in various circles in the anthroposophical movement for a hundred years now. And this is uh, important in light of speaking about any kind of spiritual observations. It's important to make clear where they're coming from and what the background understanding is. And this is a project that is being supported in part by Goethe Anum TV, the communications team at the Goethe Anum, and any contributions you make will go to a youth access and project fund, which will support young people to be part of conversations around topics like this and also projects. Um, so I heartily invite you to make a contribution and thank you for joining me.